Hello, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have an amazing show for you guys. Stick around for it. We talk all about Sacramento Republic, all the all the controversy going on in Sacramento. We talk about Schalke firing Christian Gross. And we talk about the very, very exciting Europa League matchups, as well as some other news and predictions of other big games. However, before we get to any of that, don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, give us a rating there, tell a friend about the show, and especially, especially, give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter, at Final Third Show. We are so close to 50 followers on Twitter, and we've been getting some crazy engagement there. A lot of discussions are starting, a lot of, a, a lot of our followers are just roasting us for our bad takes, and in my opinion, some really good takes. So go join us there, join the community, join the bandwagon as we continue to grow, I'll say it, exponentially. There you go. So follow us there and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to an episode of The Final Third. We got a news and predictions episode for you on this Monday morning or whenever you're listening to it, I guess. My name is AJ Tabura. I'm everyone's favorite Minnesota United, West Ham United, and United States national team super fan. I'm joined by Jack. Yeah, and of course, I'm a Chelsea fan, Atalanta fan, uh, big fan of the French national team, and of course, Minnesota United. Yes, and we have a really fun show for you guys today. We're going over, of course, the normal things that we talk about. We go over the five big stories that we have around world soccer, going over all the the things that are happening in terms of managers changing, in terms of current trends and players, stuff like that. Then we're going to talk about some history in Jack's uh, history corner. I forgot what we call it, but you know, uh, Jack's going to look back at a an event in history and talk about the significance of it and what it means for the game now, and what it meant for the game back then. Then we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team, talk about all the good things that U.S. men's national team players are doing. Then we're going to wrap it up while talking about the big games that happened last week, go over predictions, and give our predictions on the big games happening this coming week. So let's get started right off the bat with the big stories. Number one kind of an update from last week. We literally were just talking about it last week. Jack, why don't you kick us off with Thierry Henry leaving MLS for real this time? Yeah, that 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 was real sad. I think last week I was celebrating because I was like, ah, he's staying, guys. And then all of a sudden, nope, not anymore. Uh, so sad times. Henri is leaving Montreal as head coach from a team that he said he really wanted to have a long-term adventure with. But... It's not without reasons, of course. It's for family reasons. Because of the pandemic, he wasn't able to travel back and forth between Montreal and London. He wasn't able to see his wife and kids too often. And it was too much strain for him and his family. So I totally understand his decision-making there. And, you know, he had he had a decent record as a head coach in his first year as a coach yeah. in the league, at least. You know, eight wins, 13 losses, and two draws. Doesn't sound that great on paper, but... He did lead Montreal to the playoffs for the first time in four seasons, which was a huge accomplishment. And also, he led them into the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Champions League. 
which was a pretty big achievement for them as well. So it it seems like he was really getting a good start going. Probably needed a few more acquisitions in the offseason, like some more goal scores probably, because that's where Montreal really were were a little bit down in uh, last season, but uh, it looked like he had a promising future there. And he really, according to interviews, you know, he really loved Montreal as a French-speaking city, and he loved the culture around it. So he was happy there, but ultimately, family came first, and you can't blame him for that. So where are Montreal going to go now, though, is the question. And, you know, MLS, as they usually do, release a list of managers that they think could take over for uh, a manager whenever they leave. And there were some strange ones on there, uh, like Colo Torre, you know, uh, yeah, famous, a famous player and current assistant manager at Leicester. Brendan Rogers talks about him all the time. Now he's such a great assistant coach. So he also speaks French, which could be very uh, useful for Montreal. And it kind of continues the trend of bringing kind of, you know, big names to the city in management. And you, they could also call on Mauro Biella, who was their head coach from 2015 to 2017, who led them through some of their best play, potentially, in the past decade or so. I mean, they've only been a club for a decade in MLS, but uh, he, he was really successful for them. But it's just a matter of if he really would want to come back, given that he wasn't too happy when he was fired the last time around. And then you have Connor Casey as one of those uh, as one of those listed. And he was responsible for helping the Colorado Rapids get out of a big slump in form in 2019 and kind of helped turn them around a little bit towards the end of the season. And, uh, you know, those were just some of the replacements that were listed. But there's no concrete info yet. No rumors going around. So we'll see where Montreal go. I think Really, any of those would be solid choices, but, uh, you know, I, I doubt Colo Torre would want to leave potentially a yeah. a Champions League qualifying season at, in the Premier League. And Mauro Biela, we'll see if he if he'll come back, but I, I I'll, I'm looking forward to seeing more concrete info. Yeah, I mean, I think that Montreal is definitely going to go for a bigger name. I feel like with their rebrand, they're going to want someone who has a pedigree to them. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go for, you know, another French speaking manager. It kind of it kind of is in their DNA to go for one of those guys. Yeah, it's especially given the fact that preseason is just around the corner. I think uh, the, the Canadian teams are starting up in the in the next few weeks, if not very, very soon. So. If this happened maybe two months ago, they would have been fine. But now they're going to be scrambling for a head coach, one that hopefully fits their system. And, you know, we only have less than 50 days to get that team ready to go in MLS. You know, it's going to it's going to be a challenge no matter which way you look at it. But now let's talk about another MLS team that's going to be challenged or maybe not an MLS team at all it's the sacramento republic uh there's been an uh expansion doubts looming as one of their owners pulls out of the expansion bid their majority owner so it was announced that ron burkle owner of the sacramento republic which are currently in united uh soccer league in division two and were planning to join mls in 2023 
turns out that he will not be moving forward with the expansion. Back in 2019, Burkle was given the rights to an MLS expansion team in Sacramento. You know, we know Sacramento is an amazing USL team with great attendance, great branding, great on the field product. Really, you know, they were the perfect fit for MLS. But now this past Friday, Burkle has pulled out and was announced that the financial pitfalls of the pandemic and the cost of stadium construction were just too much for him to bear. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've also heard that they've missed their payments for the expansion, uh, the expansion fees. So it does seem like it, the writing was on the walls at the time of those missed payments. They're trying to uh, mitigate people's rumors about them, but now you know, all cards are on the table. Uh, he's also involved in getting an NWSL team into Sacramento, but they're hoping to still have that team ready for the next year. We have the Sacramento mayor, Daryl Steinberg. He went out and stated that they'll do everything to keep MLS in Sacramento. But we have to be honest, it's going to be hard for that to happen. They need to have a very rich, you know, billionaire majority owner take over the club and keep them in Sacramento. But at the same time, you know, uh, an owner can't swoop in and keep them in Sacramento. Or they can come in and put another team in another market. Phoenix, Detroit, Tampa, San Diego, Las Vegas, all these teams are likely just drooling over the chance to take over Sacramento's 30th MLS expansion spot. And, you know, they will be gunning for that spot. Sacramento are in a very precarious situation right now. So what does this mean for Sacramento Republic? Literally all bad things, pretty much. They could be missing out on MLS if expansion doesn't go their way. They've almost lost their basketball team, Sacramento Kings, so they've gone through this battle before. If this goes poorly and they don't get an MLS expansion spot, we'll see a ripple effect through the Republic organization. They are going to lose a lot of buzz caused by them eventually going to MLS. We saw this with Minnesota United. When it announced that they were going to MLS, they got a big attendance bump. They're going to lose that. And they could keep the buzz going on even if they're in USL. But it's a lot more difficult. What does this mean for MLS? Well, it's a new expansion team. Possibly we could get a new expansion team in Detroit or Phoenix. That'd be cool. However, it doesn't spell long-term stability when a billionaire owner can just pull out on a whim and put an entire expansion team at jeopardy. That's not exactly something you want to advertise as a league. Not that great. It seems like we're going to see maybe some more instability with finances due to coronavirus for expansion teams. Hopefully not. Not a great place to be for soccer in Northern California. Jack, what do you make of this entire fiasco with Sacramento Republic? Well, obviously it's really bad for Sacramento. And, you know, uh, it, it does spell a lot of trouble if, you know, anyone can just pull out and be like, eh, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. It it had it has sort of a dangerous precedent. I feel like right. I feel like you know if you're going to commit to it, commit to it. You can't. You shouldn't just pull out of it just because you feel like it. I but you know if it does happen and their bid falls through, I I would like to say that I think Phoenix Rising would be a yes. really solid choice to take over. They they were founded pretty. I mean, like they have they have good history, like seven years of history. They have a yeah, decent yeah, they and then they have a pretty big stadium, too. Uh, right. And 
other other than that, I mean, the Indy 11 could be a yeah, decent choice yeah. as well. Get some more Midwest teams out there. Uh, but get, you know, I, I would be fine with either of those coming in, but I would like to see Sacramento succeed because, I mean, they, they seem like a really solid club and I, you know, it would, it would be cool to give San Jose a true local rival, you know, not like, you know, the fake local rival of the LA Galaxy or like LAFC where they're in the same uh state but they're like a san jose and la galaxy is a classic rivalry well, okay but they're also like really far away from each other it doesn't feel as much like a local yeah. northern rivalry. california versus southern california yeah now that that would be Whatever. a lot more interesting i think Nor- okay. northern like overall i i think it would be more interesting so i i don't know i it it, it seems like a really bad thing for sacramento it is a bad thing for for sacramento and hopefully they can fix it Yes, and hopefully Timo Werner can fix his goal-scoring droughts, his, you know, his rough start in the Premier League. Jack, you're a Chelsea fan. Give me the news on Timo Werner beginning to struggle, or not beginning to struggle, his continued struggles in the Premier League. Well, Timo Werner has said a lot recently that he's finding the adaptation to the Premier League a lot harder than he would have anticipated. It's a lot more physical, a lot faster than he's used to because, you know, in the Bundesliga, nobody really tries. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, uh, but you know, it, it's a, it's a lot, it's a much different profile of a league and it, it does show. And it, it, you can also look at at some of this, you know, he's, he, seems to blame himself a little bit for the firing of Frank Lampard, who right. uh, brought him in, and he wasn't able to score because he couldn't adapt quick enough. And, you know, it feels like he feels slightly responsible for that. And also, Tuchel's system doesn't seem to be helping him all that much because of Chelsea's high-pressing, keeping possession tactics. He's better running behind uh, the last line of defense. And because that's not there anymore, because Chelsea have pretty much pressed most teams into like an 8-1 or like an 8-2-0 or something it seems sure uh <laughs> you know they they've been pr- they've been pretty successful at pressing them and there's not really a line to run behind at that point it's just everyone there so it's a little bit tougher for him but it also begs the question is this really a big deal though he may not be scoring a ton but he also has 17 goal contributions, goals and assists, uh, in all competitions. Plus, he's won seven penalties this uh, this yeah. season in all competitions. He he's not doing as bad as other big money Chelsea signings who have come in, like you know Gonzalo Higuain or Alvaro Morata, who were terrible and rarely affected anything at all. Uh, but Timo Werner is making good runs. He's making goal contributions. I think that he, I, I think he's one of those players that he's still pretty young. He has a lot of time to adapt. And, you know, we saw this as well with Christian Pulisic. He had, he had some really good moments, including like a hat trick against Burnley in October mm-hmm. after transferring from the Bundesliga to the Premier League. But it took him a few, like a solid few months. Like I, I'd argue like up until probably what? Um, June, when the Premier League resumed, was when yeah. he like really hit his stride. So it takes time to adapt to it. From and I think that Timo Werner 
can still adapt. I don't think that he's going to be a flop or anything. I think that he's just going to take longer than more than people might have expected, which is fine because that's part of the game. He's a young player. He's got a future, and I hope it's at Chelsea. So that that's my take on Timo Werner's situation. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a flop. I don't think I don't think he can be considered a flop right now. Uh, we I mean, it, it's true. We've seen players struggle adapting to the Premier League. It's a different beast, and he's going to be one of those players that continues to struggle with that fact. I remember back in I don't know 2016, maybe Angel Di Maria coming over to Manchester United. His wife saying that they just hate it there. Manchester's like the worst city to live in because I don't know they came from they came from Spain or something. So that's that's kind of a big jump from uh, the beauty of Spain to Manchester, England. You know, it's oh a boy. That, 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 that is I'll be to be fair. That is a very, very tough jump. And even on the field, like it, it is different leagues play different styles. Timo Werner's used to Bundesliga. A lot of the other Chelsea uh, signings are used to different leagues. It's it's a different system. So, Jack, real quick, what do you think should be done with the big money signings that haven't been hitting the mark as much as they should be this year? I mean, we have a Ziyech, we have Havertz, we have Werner. Do you move them on, or do you invest in them even though it doesn't seem like they might be panning out the way that you wanted to. Do you cut your losses or do you stick with it? Well, the thing is, I feel like Chelsea have this habit of giving up on signings that have a lot of promise too soon because they've done it a lot. Uh, in other cases, they've held on too long, but for the most part, I feel like that it's more the, the former where they give up on players. And, you know, Kai Havertz is, I believe, 21 or 22. Timo Werner is 24. These are not like, you know, older players who have no future or anything like in in uh like the league or any or in like european competition they have a big future and they have a big upside they they've proven that they can play really well and on their day they can be a great combination so i think i think that you've got to invest in them but with hakim ziesh you know he he was really good and he was clearly a frank lampard signing he, he clearly was. He was made for the team that Lampard was building. And it almost seems like he just doesn't fit in Tuchel's system at all. Uh, it, it, he, it just doesn't seem to, to click for some reason. He, he can't really run in and uh, affect play as much as he wants to because Chelsea are pressing so far up that he can't really make those incisive cut, cutting passes. So maybe move him on, but I'd like to see him get a little bit more of a chance. All right. Well, that's that's very fair. I think I, I'm I am in complete agreement with you. I I feel like we're both on the same wavelength where where we tend to not give up on players, not give up on managers yeah. too soon. We like we want to see more of a long term vision in terms of investment than short term investment. Exactly. Yeah. So so I'm. I completely agree. I think Chelsea should stick with their guns at least for one or two more seasons with those signings. But one team that decided to not look at the long term, perhaps, is Schalke in the Bundesliga, who are currently bottom of the table, 18th place. 
They have cut ties with Christian Gross, their head coach, after only you know barely a hundred days. Not even a hundred days, I don't think. It's been like it's been like less than three months, maybe. Because today, Christian Gross and other management members, like their sporting directors and assistant coaches, Reether, Luthard, Schneider, and Widmeyer got fired. Like they completely cleaned out the cabinets. Uh, off of Reddit, I found this insane stat. Insane stat. Schalke have had more head coaches this season than Freiburg, also in the Bundesliga, has had since 1991. Oh my gosh. Schalke are in complete disarray. They've had four managers, including one of their one of that being an interim manager. Uh, they started out with David Wagner, went to Manuel Baum, then Hoop Stevels, which is an interim manager, and now Christian Gross also out. They're going to finish with five, I suppose, and just pure desperation. And it seems, in my opinion, kind of short-sighted. At this point, we know that Schalke is going to be relegated. They have nine points after 23 games. They're nine points away from uh, relegation safety. They haven't won since they beat Hoffenheim back in January 9th. It's all been uh, lowly ties or serious beatdowns. And, you know, yes, Christian Gross did not elevate the team to more points, more wins, but he did elevate the quality of soccer going on on the pitch. And if you keep him, maybe he could have guided you back out of the two Bundesliga back into the Bundesliga. But now you're throwing a wrench and everything. You're scrapping the project. You're basically tanking at this point. No coach can help them. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Schalke have, I, I bet, a higher than 99% chance of getting relegated. So what's the future going to be? It's not going to be great, obviously, because they got rid of Gross. They got rid of whatever plan they were going with. And so the future has to be them investing in a coach, not with the goal of saving them from relegation, but with the goal of getting them back up from relegation, getting them promoted from the two Bundesliga. And so in that sense, I do think it's interesting that, they, that they're basically admitting defeat. But in the long run... Is this going to hurt Schalke? I'll pass it over to Jack. Do you think that firing Christian Gross at this point of the season, this late in the season, was a good choice by Schalke? Absolutely or? not. I mean, just first of all, just out of curiosity, I went to 538 just to check the prediction odds, what they have. Uh, and curiously enough, Schalke have only a 99% chance of being relegated, but that is uh, higher There's than the total of the next three above them who have a combined 98% chance of getting relegated. So um, oh, no. it's not looking good for them. And with that knowledge in mind, I, it really does not look like they can escape from this. It looks Obviously inevitable. Not. There are 13 games left. They have averaged, let's see, it, they've played 23 games. Right? Nine points. So Yeah, less than, less than half a point per game. Sick. Uh, yeah, so um, not doing great. And even if they continued on that, like let's say they, they kept with that, they, there's no way for them to get safety unless yes. they pulled off a big strain of wins. And getting a new coach in the middle of a season isn't going to help you get more wins. It's going to deplete your squad and also make it so that you have to adapt to a whole new system. I think they should have stuck with 
uh, gross because, you know, could have built a system for the future. Could have made a plan because they're going down. I don't know how they escape this. They they should just be preparing for it. And because of that, I think that this is a bad decision that's probably going to hurt them in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did just say that I thought this was a bad idea, but like I was saying before, I do think it's pretty intriguing that if their plan is not to save themselves from relegation and their plan is 100% to start a new system that can get them promoted, then in that sense, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit with them where if they're getting a new coach to try to save themselves from relegation, that's that's stupid. But if they're trying to like build a system, you know, use some of their good players like Arit, Kalasinac, Hoppy maybe, and get them back into the Bundesliga, like really, really invest in this like new vision of the future of Schalke, then that's more looking in the long term, and maybe that's a bit smarter. But you know, regardless, it's an interesting thing. We'll see what happens. And we're also going to see what happens in the Europa League. Champions League uh, round of 16 draws are yet to come, because we still have to do the second leg of that competition. But Europa League is, you know, we just had the round of 32, so now we're looking at the round of 16 coming up. Jack, walk us through the Europa League round of 16 draw. Yeah, so there's a ton of really exciting draws here, and top of that list is probably AC Milan versus Manchester United. Zlatan is going to be coming back to yes. Old Trafford for a game, uh, and it'll be interesting to see because both of these teams have a very common theme in their seasons. They were both top of the league, somewhat surprisingly, by most pundits and most soccer fans' standards, uh, and all of a sudden got swallowed up by their city rivals, and now they're in second place. Yeah. And uh, they, <laughs> they, they both have very similar profiles this league, or this season, where they've been doing pretty well in the league, and, but they're just not beating top teams. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes, because... As far as I as I'm concerned, these are the exact two same teams in two different leagues. So I, I'm very much looking forward to this one to see, yeah. you know, what's going to happen in these. Uh, will uh, will AC Milan be able to, you know, keep up a pretty exciting pedigree of European competition, keep some good momentum going or are Manchester United and uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the gym teacher, going to take it mm. home for uh, yet another deep run in the Europa League. We'll see. Uh, but beyond that, also in the Premier League, uh, with Premier League teams, uh, Gunners fans got some PTSD coming back yes. uh, when uh, they saw that they were drawn against Olympiacos, who knocked them out at home in the round of 32 in the Europa League last season with a late goal by El Arabi to seal it. So, uh, Arsenal fans aren't too excited about this one all over social media. I've seen a lot of disappointment and a lot of, of worry over this tie because Olympiacos are, maybe aren't the best team in the world, but they can pull off some good results. They have solid players, and I wouldn't be surprised if they could pull off another win over Arsenal. And then we have an exciting matchup of upsetters facing off against yeah. each other in the round of 16. Granada and Molde. Molde? 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 So, I think it's Molde. Molde. Molde probably is right. Who both upset 
big teams, Granada beat Napoli and Molda beat Hoffenheim, and they're going to face each other in the round of 16. That's going to be an exciting one to watch as well. Some maybe less exciting ones, but still exciting nonetheless. Uh, just not as many narratives within this. Rangers are facing Slavia Prague. Tottenham are against uh, Croatia's Dinamo Zagreb. Ajax are facing off against the Young Boys from Switzerland, I believe. And yep. uh, Dynamo Kiev uh, is going to be here in Good Evening from uh, yes. Unai Emery and Villarreal. This one is interesting as well because Unai Emery, if he takes Villarreal to success in this, cha- in this competition, he will be the first male coach or coach in the men's game to win four European Cups. So he has a very big chance really? to make history. Yeah, because uh, he was That's the coach. never happened before? Nope, never before. Uh, oh. With Sevilla, he won, I yeah. think, I think it was two or three titles. So he, it, they were all Europa League titles. So Of course, but Sevilla. It, w- it would still be a very big achievement for him. Uh, but also, the last high, and personally... My favorite, just because I like both of these teams quite a bit, uh, is Roma versus Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Ro- Shakhtar Donetsk is who I wanted to win the Europa League last season, just because I think they're a really exciting team with a lot of really cool Brazilian talent and a lot of Ukrainian talent as well. Uh, it's They're a really solid team, and they pulled off some exciting wins in the Champions League this season. Roma have been struggling recently, so I think that that will be a really intriguing tie to watch. AJ, are there any ties that really stand out to you? Yeah. You, you mentioned Roma and Shakhtar being your favorite matchup. I think there's a ton of really good matchups. Obviously, AC Milan, Manchester United, that is jumping off the page for a lot of people. Arsenal, Olympiacos, also you know very exciting. Maybe not for Arsenal fans, <laughs> even though I think it's funny that uh, this got mentioned on Twitter, the fact that Arsenal's been in the Europa League so long that they're actually having rivalries with greek <laughs> greek league teams like olympiacos is good but uh to be at that pedigree for arsenal is not that great but i think in my personal opinion the matchup i'm most excited for is actually rangers versus slavia prague all that's right, because right. slavia prague is the best team in the czech first division right now like 11 points ahead of sparta prague and that's where West Ham got two really good players out of Suchek and Sufal. You know, so obviously right. I, I have yeah. a, a little bit of a connection, but I also do know Slavia Prague is a really good team. They won the last round pretty, pretty nicely. And we also have Glasgow Rangers, Steven Gerrard's Rangers, playing also very well. That They are on top of the Scottish uh, Premiership. They, they haven't lost in a very long time. Both these teams are on the top of, let's say, lesser divisions, lesser leagues in Europe. It's kind, in a way, it's kind of a, a Titan matchup for smaller Titans. So I, that's why I'm really excited to see who's on top so we can gauge the level of Scotland versus uh, the Czech Republic in terms of their domestic leagues. So what do you think I, about that? Yeah, so if I'm hearing this right, are we both... Uh, cheering for an Eastern European team to win the Europa League then? I am 100% cheering for Eastern Europe all the way. I'm tired, I'm tired, of, I'm tired of Spain winning it. I'm tired of <laughs> England winning it. I, 
I, I want I want Ukraine. You know what I'm saying? Ukraine. I, I want, Ukraine. I want Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Come on. You can Croatia. Do it. Sure. <laughs> that that would be an incredible final if if it was that like that. I I could not imagine that it would it would make a lot of people look a lot more seriously at some of those leagues, which would be really cool. Yes. All right. Well, those are our five big stories. Went over a very uh, diverse group of news stories. But let's go into the real quick section just to rattle some of these off. We have the U.S. Women's National Team winning the She Believes Cup. Let's go. It was their fourth title uh, in six years, second in a row. They won 1-0 to Canada, 2-0 to Brazil, and 6-0 to Argentina. Very good. Still the best team in the world. Then we had some a little bit of serious news out of the annual general meeting for U.S. soccer. And this is actually something that we're going to talk about in the Thursday episode. Now, there's a, a lot of different topics within this big topic. Earlier this week, we had Zlatan saying athletes should stay out of politics. A lot of controversy in that statement. And it got even more heightened after in the, the AGM, the general meeting. They were discussing as a, a, a federation, as a U.S. soccer uh, contingent, they were discussing and successfully repealed the policy requiring p players to stand for the anthem, allowing for more protest. Uh, from the U.S. soccer players. And there was some opposition, uh, but one stood out. That was a six-minute rant from uh, a guy that let's not name, at least right now, I don't think he deserves the airtime. No, he doesn't. But he basically waved aside police brutality, waved aside the horrible effects of slavery, and it was legitimately, like, actually legitimately, one of the most racist things that I've ever heard come out of a person's mouth it's terrible. We're going to talk more about protest, racism, and politics in soccer on Thursday. It's a really serious, really important discussion that we're going to be talking about, especially with these new uh, events that have transpired in the past week. Next, we have just a, a little bit more lighthearted one. We have some new kits that came out that we all enjoy, including our own team, Minnesota United, had the River Kit, which was a nice baby light blue very clean. I like it. it. It's a plain jersey, so you know you'd expect me to not like it. But the fact that it has a color and they're really leaning into that one color, it's pretty bold. I like it. You also have Miami's new kit. It's all black. We've talked about it. It sucks. I don't care what anyone else says. <laughs> Cincinnati's kind of have a a nice, also kind of clean look with their uh, blue and orange stripes. I, I I do enjoy that. And of course, the talk of the town the past week, LA Galaxy's kit. The throwback to the 90s with Kobe Jones, the, 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 the green and the gray. It's nice. Jack, especially for the Minnesota United kit, what do you think about that one? Oh, I want it. I want it really badly. It's such a nice kit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it. I'm probably going to get Reynoso and Reynoso's uh, name printed on it, too. I want it so badly. It looks like a fantastic kit. Hey, everybody. It's actually Editor AJ butting in real quick we record these episodes on sunday and release them on monday morning and unfortunately i woke up today checked the news and found out that there is a bunch of things going on a bunch of things that got announced just this morning and we don't want to miss out on talking about it in this episode so just to rattle some off real quickly hate when this happens don't know why people release so much news monday morning but whatever 
Uh, the first is some news surrounding something, we're, something that we do talk about in the episode, which is the U.S. Soccer's annual general meeting, where you know some guy did go on a a little bit of a racist rant, and you know there's some news that that man has been removed from his position of power within the U.S. soccer realm. So that's something that we talk about also on Thursday when we talk about uh, racism, politics, and protest in soccer. In other news, we have U.S. soccer announcing the U.S. men's national team is going to play Jamaica on March 25th, becoming its uh, second opponent for the March window along with Northern Ireland. Going to be a fun matchup. We're going to we're going to dive into that, those two matchups when the time comes. And lastly, we also have a pretty big piece of news out of Barcelona. Barcelona fans are going to be happy that uh, former president Bartomeu has been arrested due to his ties with a smear campaign that he launched with uh, the other board members to discredit people who were against him, especially former players like Xavi, Puyol, Messi, PK. Guardiola, Benedito, Font, and because of this, because of this smear campaign where he he paid a social media company, i3 Ventures, to launch this like underground smear campaign with a bunch of burner accounts to discredit those who spoke against them and basically libel and slander them, and that's you know a huge story. Barcelona fans hated them. Real Madrid fans loved the board and Bartomeu. We're going to see where this story evolves to, and we're going to talk about it maybe sometime in the future. Well, we wanted to talk about those new stories because they're just that big. And yeah, I mean, th- that's all the, the, the new news, I suppose. So uh, back to the episode. All right. Well, with that, let's go into the title that now, the section that I actually know now know the title because I got to the part in our document going jack in time play on going back in time where jack talks about well the history of soccer jack why don't you take it away with this episode's version of it yeah well this this week we're going to talk about a topic that might seem really well known to a lot of you which is the corruption of fifa it's been well known as documented by an exposing investigation in 2015 And even today, there's still controversy around the selection of host cities and countries for the World Cup, especially with the most recent two, uh, Russia 2018 and Qatar 2022. But with all that being said, I want to take a step back to the scandals that started the fall of FIFA, perhaps the most corrupt four years of the organization, which is saying a lot, to be fair, 2000 to 2004. So to start us off, the 2000 selection, which was the selection of Germany as a host country in 2006, it isn't always thought of as a fraudulent or really rigged or any corrupt selection, but it very much should be. Those familiar with former FIFA president Sepp Blatter might remember that he really wanted South Africa to host a World Cup from the 90s on. So in 2006, his plan was to make South Africa have the World Cup. And, as a matter of fact, it was very much on track to be just that. Just about a few weeks before, it seemed like the votes were going to be 16 to uh, 8, I believe, for for South Africa hosting the World Cup. However, a few things disrupted that. 
And But what exactly happened? So as it turns out, there were two big players in this. The Asian Football Confederation and Oceania, which are not exactly the players you would think of when you think about big moves in, uh, in FIFA. But before the vote, German legend Franz Beckenbauer supposedly promised a $6.7 million euro payment to Mohammed bin Haman, the president of the Asian Football Confederation, which was paid through a shell in 2005. And this was to vote and use AFC's four votes to vote for Germany for the World Cup. But the German representatives knew this wasn't going to be enough because the vote total would have been 12 to 12. And mm-hmm. those of you familiar with FIFA will know that in that case, the president breaks a tie. So Blatter would have broken the tie in favor of South Africa. But the night before the vote, Oceania's representative, Charlie Dempsey, received a call from the German committee's representatives asking him to abstain from the vote. Dempsey Mm. was originally told by the Oceanic Football Confederation to vote for South Africa. But the German committee offered him $250,000 to abstain from that final vote, which led to the final vote of 12 to 11 in favor of Germany. So as a result, Germany won this hosting privilege, and Dempsey was removed from his position as Oceania's FIFA representative, and according to interviews later, he severely regretted what he did and feels like he can never really live that down. But as we know, South Africa would get its World Cup. That happened in 2010. And this is the scandal that brought down FIFA as a whole, or at least the current the leadership at the time. It also took down prominent CONCACAF president Jack Warner, along with several others. It was revealed that in, 2000, in 2004, when voting for this World Cup, Warner was paid $10 million in, in, uh, to vote for South Africa. However, this may not be the worst aspect of this bribe. And in fact, it might even sound good when you hear what this $10 million was for. It was for it was money for an African diaspora development program to improve nice. the livelihoods of those who had descended from African slaves living in Trinidad and Tobago, which, That's you know, great. is a very uh, admirable thing. And uh, it doesn't sound bad. The bribe came, though. After Nelson Mandela, you know, South African former president and yeah. hero, took was forced pretty much to take a 17-hour long journey in oh, pretty no. much failing health to Trinidad and Tobago, and was supposedly made to beg for Warner's support because his four votes from CONCACAF were that crucial. And this kind of damaged Mandela's reputation in the process. But this isn't even the most villainous aspect of Warner's involvement in the scandal, because the money paid doesn't seem to be allocated for a bad purpose. It seems like an excellent idea on paper, and had promise, if it was enacted. However, this would never happen, as Warner ended up embezzling $10 million, enriching himself, and when he was indicted by the U.S. Justice Department for the embezzlement in 2015, while the brief mentioned his bribery and mostly wiretapping and and, uh, and, uh, other allegations, it accused him of abusing the history and legacy of African slavery, which it described as a villainous and disrespectful act. And I would have to agree. 
Uh, while every World Cup this century has had controversy and scandal surrounding this election, whether it's the humanitarian concerns of Russia and Qatar and the management of concerns of Brazil, Germany 2006 and South Africa 2010 will go down in history as two of the most corrupt World Cup bids of all time, and rightfully so. They took down several prominent European heroes, Franz Beckenbauer, Michel Platini, uh, and it took and it helped. Well, it hurt Nelson Mandela's reputation even slightly before his death. They'll go down in history as the most corrupt World Cup bids of all time, and rightfully so. From the first true instance of completely buying the hosting rights in 2006 to the abuse of the legacy of slavery in 2010, there are problematic instances all around. And for those reasons, these have to be the darkest four years in FIFA's history. Yeah, I mean, that really did send a precedent for FIFA going down the drain in terms of accepting bribes, in terms of corruption, things that we have seen in these next coming World Cups, 2022, even 2026. You know, I'll, right. I'll say it. I'll say it. I don't care if it's in the USA. There's definitely some. Uh, there's definitely some shady stuff going on in there. And really, I guess it all did start that faithful night in 2000. $250,000 to buy someone is not an, a lot. It's not a I, lot, but it was I, enough. I'm kind of embarrassed for that guy. I, I mean, he seems pretty embarrassed too. Uh, I mean. If you're if you're interested in this kind of stuff, we're not sponsored or anything, but I'd highly recommend the book The Fall of the House of FIFA by uh, David Kahn. Excellent book talking about all of this. It's what it's one of my favorite books that I've read about it. Uh, but yeah, if you want to learn more about it, definitely check that out. All right. Yeah, go check that out. Tell them that we sent you. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so eventually they'll, they'll sponsor us. But uh, with that, let's go back into the present with the U.S. Men's National Team Corner, where we talk all about what's going on with U.S. Men's National Team players abroad and at home. Let's get this show started. I'm trying to do this as fast as possible. Can AJ do this under five minutes? I think so. Let's start with Weston McKenney. Weston McKenney scored against Crotone for Juventus in a 3-0 win. McKenney despite having some muscle injuries, started against the uh, Italian team. He had positive play, getting a hockey assist for one of Ronaldo's goals, and he also got a goal of his own, where he buried a loose ball off a Juventus corner. Really, really good. He's been the best U.S. men's national team player in Europe this year. He's had four goals and two assists for the season, which is most in Syria since Michael Bradley. Very, very good. For an American player, by the way. There's there's obviously been more players <laughs> that had more than that. Uh, we also had Christian Pulisic, who killed off a 1-0 win against Atletico Madrid, came on to play for the pa- the last 10 minutes, had some nice killer runs, which I guess is something that we've been saying for the past couple weeks. But a lot of people are mad because, you know, he didn't start this game. He didn't start against Manchester United, despite Ziyech not playing as well as people would hope. There's some concerns about Christian Pulisic. I tweeted about it. I got roasted by U.S. men's national team fans. But let's just make one thing clear. There is no agenda against Christian Pulisic in Chelsea. And Christian Pulisic will be okay. Five games where he didn't start is not going to make or break his career. I promise you. 
We had another player in England doing pretty well. Daryl DK scores for Barnsley against Stoke. He made a nice run and had a cool, cool finish right against the Stoke goalkeeper. Barnsley are in seventh, right outside the playoff picture, one point behind with a game in hand. And they've won five games in a row. Look out for Daryl DK being a part for that playoff push. Look out for Daryl DK making a statement and putting himself right into the U.S. National U.S. Men's National Team number nine picture. And there's also another number nine that we should talk about. That's Sia Bachu scoring for young boys in the Europa League against Bayer Leverkusen in their 2-0 win this past week. They won 5-4 in aggregate. Young boys upset Bayer Leverkusen very, very hard. He scored three goals in those two uh, legs, playing really well. I will say... He is not, even though, you know, this is really nice. He scored against a very, very good German team. This doesn't mean that he's like the number one U.S. Mass National Team, number nine. He should be looked at. He should be seriously looked at, evaluated. He's one of a handful of players that can make a statement. Let's wait until he has a true, true breakout uh, season in order to make a true judgment. We also had some more Europa League action going on, a little more negative than Siabachu scoring. It's Richards, Aronson, and Weah all getting completely bounced from the UEFA Europa League round of 32. They're all decent, but they just couldn't get it done by themselves. Richards and Hoffenheim lost 1-0 to Molde of Norway to lose 4-3 on aggregate. Salzburg got bounced by Villarreal 4-1, and Lille got yeeted out 4-2 out of the Europa League by Ajax. They all, in my opinion, they all had very good Europa League outings for this round. However, you know, you can only do so much when you're one individual player. Some of these uh, teams are going to be focusing more on the league. So maybe it's actually a blessing in disguise. Who knows? We have some more positive news coming out of the Bundesliga when Josh Sargent scored the winner for Werder Bremen versus Eintracht Frankfurt, where they won 2-1. to one. Now, we've given a lot of flack to Werder Bremen for not being the best, giving Josh Sargent service. We've also given flack to Josh Sargent for not being the best at finishing those chances. But now, Josh Sargent has scored, and he seems to only score after other U.S. men's national team strikers do well. But, you know, that's okay. He had a really good game. He won the most duels in the game. Really good hold-up play. Had some good shots, and obviously, he scored that goal. Good for him. We had Sergino Des starting for Barcelona in their 2-0 win against Sevilla. Huge game against a top-four side. We talked about that last week in the Thursday episode. Go check that out. He came up huge. Barcelona have switched to playing back in a back five with him being a right wing back. He's played well going forward with an 86% pass rate. Hit the woodwork with one of his shots. So, very close to a goal. But overall, he's played very well. Tyler Adams in the Bundesliga played very well as a defensive midfielder in Leipzig's 3-2 comeback against Mönchengladbach. He completed the most passes, had an 86% pass rate, one chance that he created, and a shot on target. Cleaned up in the back and was able to create well. We had Jay Reyna, who had a goal for Dortmund against Armenia. Uh, he had it called off, actually, because a ref blew the whistle to give Dortmund the penalty uh, he scored a goal after Marco Royce came down from a bad tackle. Fortunately, it didn't count, and Sancho buried the subsequent penalty. Uh, kind of in a rough patch, but I'm sure he'll do well. 
And I know I'm over five minutes, but just to quickly go over the Olympic qualifying roster being announced. Uh, we'll, we're going to talk more about the Olympics coming up soon, but just to go over the preliminary roster. We had mostly MLS guys like Clark, Lewis, Amaya, Ibobasi, Araujo, Ewell, Vines, Williamson, Ochoa, those guys. Some European people as well, Reynolds, Conrad, Aronson, Yanez, Soto. These guys are unlikely to get released, but if any of them are, probably Yanez, Conrad, Soto. They don't really feature for the first team at all. We also have Efrain Alvarez, an 18-year-old midfielder for LA Galaxy, got preliminary selected for Mexico and the U.S. If he picks the U.S., I believe he will be tied, cap-tied for the U.S. men's national team. Really interesting what he chooses. It's a decent roster, and we should be qualifying. And again, the Olympic qualifying is a completely U23 tournament in March. We're in a group of Costa Rica, Mexico, and Dominican Republic. We need to make top two to make the semifinals. And if we win the semis, we make it to the Olympics for the first time since 2008. That is it for the U.S. men's national team corner. We went through a lot of things, but catch us next week when we talk about all the good and maybe bad things that the U.S. soccer men's team is doing abroad and at home. Let's just get right into the predictions from last week. Talk about what happened and the points that we got Jack, why don't you kick us off with Atletico Madrid and Chelsea and explain the scoring system. Yeah, so as always, our scoring system is predicting the right result gets you 10 points, getting the exact scoreline correct gets you 20 points, and getting it completely wrong gets you zero. So starting off with Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea in the Champions League, the advantage in the round of 16 tie goes Chelsea's way as the London side take a vital 0-1 away win over a very stubborn Atletico side that often yes. was 8-2-0, uh, and and I believe, uh, sometimes 6-3-1, yeah. yeah. you know, uh, very defensive. Throughout the game, Chelsea looked the way better team, and Werner came very close to scoring in the first half. But after the half, Chelsea looked even more dangerous, and the crucial moment came in the 68th minute as Atletico's Mario Hermoso deflected the ball high. Giroud, as always, came up with an absolute stunning bicycle kick to slam the ball past Oblak, and while it was initially disallowed for offside, the deflection off Hermoso meant the goal stood, and Chelsea did well to hold out for the rest of the game, keeping the home side to zero shots on target throughout the entire game. Uh, and, you know, I I predicted one to three, which is ridiculous the more I look back at this, for uh, <laughs> 10 points. AJ predicted a draw for zero points. It was close. So close. Uh, and close. Casey predicted a one-two win for Chelsea, so he'll get 10 points as well. All right. Well, Jax, considering that we have another one of your teams in this next matchup, Atlanta versus Real Madrid, why don't you take this one as well? Uh, this one hurt. This one hurt a lot. Uh, this game looked so even for the first 17 minutes, but a very harsh red card for Atalanta's Remo Freuler changed the game. Atalanta could not be their usual high-pressing, high-attacking selves, and they had to set, sit in, and they absorbed Real Madrid's pressure for a lot of the game. Throughout the first half, Pira Luigi Golini, Atalanta's keeper, kept the side in with a, with fantastic saves after a close-range header from Varane. It was an incredible reflex save. But in the 81st minute, Casemiro should have had a yellow for a dive in the box, but the referee disagreed. 
uh, a second yellow, sorry, for a dive in the box, but the referee disagreed and play continued. But a long-range strike from Furlan Mendy in the 86th minute gave Real a vital away goal for a 1-0 win. So I predicted a 2-2 draw for zero points. AJ predicted a 2-1 Atalanta win. I I think they would have won had it not been for the red card for zero points. And Casey guessed a 0-1 win for Real Madrid, meaning he gets 20 points. So AJ, why don't you take us to the Europa League for Ajax versus Lille? Yes, we had Ajax versus Lille in the Europa League. We had an early goal by Davy Klassen, which put the game firmly in Ajax's control. Lille would have to score two goals to send it to extra time. And they got one back with a strong uh, shot from Yaziki, but an 88th minute from Nerez. Just a wonderful, wonderful header. It just sealed the deal for the Dutch champions. There was no shot for Lille. They weren't really even in the game. They'd have to just come out of the gates playing really, really well. And unfortunately, none of the Lille players were up for the challenge. Jack said 1-1 draw for zero points. Both Casey and... Yeah, relatively close. If Ajax just didn't finish it off, you would have gotten the the 20 points. Just gotta say. Yes, Nerez really screwed you over. But uh, he didn't screw us over because both me and Casey... Guessed a 1-0 win for Ajax. We both get 10 points out of that. And Jack, considering that, you know, we had, you know, not so much of an upset in this game, why don't you take us to another favorite dominating the underdog as well in Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Manchester City? Yeah, so uh, this game, you know, Manchester City scuffed some chances but they controlled this game the whole 90 minutes. Gladbach pretty much right. gave up before the first whistle was blown. Uh, possibly a result of their head coach uh, already announcing he's going to yeah. go in somewhere else after this season. But uh, Bernardo Silva and Gabriel Jesus both scored to give City a, two, a 0-2 away win. At one point, it seemed like City were on the training grounds and pretty much treated it like a preseason match instead of a Champions League tie. That's just how dominant they were. And I was so close to getting this dead on, predicting yeah. 0-3. I was watching this, hoping for a little bit more efficiency, but no such luck. So I'll get 10 points. AJ guessed 1-3 to three for 10 points, and Casey guessed 0-4 for 10 points. So as, as, as we said, it's pretty easy to guess this one, but it, yes. Gladbach did not seem interested at all. Mm-hmm. What was obviously a lot harder to guess was Arsenal versus Leicester in the Premier League where they won 3-1 and none of us saw that coming. (laughs) Leicester players did seem tired and Arsenal players were playing very well individually and that meant that Arsenal dominated. Tielemans and Vardy kind of seemed behind the pace. Maybe there's some fitness issues in terms of uh, fatigue but both have to play because they don't have a lot of depth beyond the first-choice starters. That's kind of Leicester's, I guess, uh, Achilles' heel. They're not like the big six uh, teams, which do have the funds to have a pretty deep bench. Arsenal had players that really stepped up. Willian, Pepe, and even David Luiz had positive games. Pepe, David Luiz, and Lacazette all scored to win the match 3-1. to one. 
I, I wouldn't really worry if I was a Leicester fan. They're not going to get a lot of double game weeks where they have to play midweek. You know, they're they're going to be okay overall. So never in doubt, never in doubt for Arsenal. A lot of doubt for us because Jack said 0-2 to Leicester. I said 1-0 to for Leicester, and Casey said 3-1 to for Leicester. We all get zero points, unfortunately. And that brings the final tally of the week for Jack and I as 20. 20 points each, not great. Uh, Casey, our guest, kind of blew us out of the water with uh, <laughs> tying, the, tying the, the most amount of points for this segment, 50 points. Goes up there with Griffin, I believe, yes? Yep. Which brings the overall records for Jack 3-4 to 1. Me, uh, dismal 2-6. to six. <laughs> And for our guests as a whole, two wins, one loss, and one draw. Jack, how does that make you feel? Well, I'm I'm still pretty fine with my record, but I mean, AJ, one positive for you: you still have a better win record than Shulka. Yeah, that's congratulations. That's You've done I, it. I suppose that's true. I don't know if that's company that I want to be associating with, but whoever. <laughs> now for this week's predictions, you know, hopefully I can even go higher than Shulka. You know, really blow him out the water. Uh, we don't have any guests for this week. We probably will next week but maybe that's for the best given how well they've been playing against us jack let's get started with rb leipzig versus wolfsburg i'll take this one it's in the dfb pokal it's positions two versus three in the bundesliga wolfsburg have curiously not conceded in eight games they haven't lost since january 3rd their defense is immaculate however leipzig are still good they're in second place so obviously they are However, in my mind, what really separates them is Wolfsburg's just titans of defenders, particularly our American boy, John Brooks. They just cannot be ignored. So I'm going to say a 1-0 win to Wolfsburg. Jack, how do you see this? Don't tell me you have there's, the same one. There's no way. Oh I, I said they, they've both been unbeaten in five yes. in the league. And Wolf, but I said in my notes, the one difference is that Wolfsburg keeps clean sheets. Yep. You know, they've got an incredible goalkeeper in Kurt Castiles. Yeah. Uh, John Brooks is a rock. It, they're, they're a great team. Uh, and because of that, I also predicted a 1-0 win for Wolfsburg. Hey, that's, that, that's completely fine. It means we, we either go up together or go down together, so I'm completely fine with that. Exactly. <laughs> but maybe we'll have a little bit of differences on this one. I think we might on Liverpool versus Chelsea uh, in the Premier League. Jack, walk me through this uh, Titan matchup. Well, Liverpool snapped a win uh, or a losing streak, I should say, this weekend uh, to win 2-0 against Sheffield United, which, you know, if you're Liverpool... You should hope you're beating Sheffield United, <laughs> right. but uh, their current record in their past five is one win and four losses, with almost all of those losses coming at home. Uh, and Chelsea looks really good. There are three wins and two draws, including at state that statement win over Atletico Madrid. And uh, Liverpool haven't been doing terribly, but their defense is just not good. And given that Chelsea have been keeping possession a lot and are able to pretty much move up in the box, given that Liverpool's midfield is, like, completely depleted. They have no Fabinho. 
They have no Henderson. They they're relying on Jorginho Wijnaldum and S- Curtis Jones, I guess. Yeah. To to keep the midfield down. Uh. So given that disparity that we're seeing in midfields, given that Chelsea are probably going to be allowed to have possession, even though Liverpool are at home, I don't think that works well for them in this case. I'm saying Chelsea win this one to zero because, you know, they, they're not scoring a ton lately, but they have been keeping clean sheets lately. All right. Well, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, Jack, you're completely off the mark. Chelsea have been okay. playing well. They haven't lost, but they're playing, you know, very conservatively. Their attack isn't firing as well as it probably should be given the investment. Liverpool have bounced back. I think this is the game. Liverpool finally come back as not no. title contenders, but at least top four contenders. I'm going to say it's a 2-1 win to Liverpool at Anfield. I think I think this is the one that I that separates us because I just I, I view this Liverpool team as having the parts it needs to at least compete. And Chelsea, they haven't been scoring a lot. I think Liverpool can do it. What do you think? Am I stupid? I, I, I don't think they can do this. Their, their, their midfield is going to fall apart. Like, Chelsea were able to dominate against a pretty good midfield for, against Manchester United. Uh, and given that the defense is a lot less solid for Liverpool right now, I think that Chelsea are going to nick a goal. All right, all right. Well, these last three games are big rivalry matches, like some of the biggest rivalries that we have in Europe. Let's go over, over them. Uh, we have... Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund in Der Klassiker in Bundesliga. And the way I see it is Bayern are Bayern. They won 5-1 this past weekend. You have Goretzka, Kimmich, and Lewandowski just playing incredibly well. Dortmund won also this weekend. They won their past three very, you know, very good. However, Dortmund have not won against Bayern since August of 2019. In that period... Bayern have outscored Dortmund 11 to 4. Bayern have Dortmund's numbers. Uh, Dortmund still don't have a permanent coach to help guide them. Bayern win this in a huge statement win to practically cement the title 3 to 0. Jack, what do you see? Well, they're both three wins, one loss, and one draw. They have very even records, right? They're, they're pretty even teams. Yeah. They both pulled yeah. off good wins yeah. in the Champions League. But the thing that separates these teams is that Dortmund cannot seem to beat top teams That's currently. True. They, they beat relegation fodder teams like Armenia and Schalke, but then they, they slipped up against Leverkusen and uh, against Mönchengladbach yes. and against Freiburg. Yes. Like, they're, they're not going to beat Bayern in this case. I'm going to say that it's going to end... Four to one. Whoa. I think Dortmund might get one. Holland will probably get a run at least. And also Bayern, a lot of their injured players are coming back. So I'd back them to score quite a few. I'm guessing four to one. Okay. Well, you know, we both agree with that result there. And let's see if we agree with this next rivalry matchup. It's the Manchester Derby. Manchester City versus Manchester United in the Premier League. City have won the past... 20 games i believe at this point and united have drawn and won a lot of their recent games haven't lost since sheffield united you know that goes back nine games 
However, C just have that finished product. They have the players that play well. I've been saying for the past two weeks, but you have just amazing, amazing players that just step up whenever you need them. Pep Guardiola is a god among men. City win, 3-1. to one. I'm going to say Fernandez scores that lone United goal just to help out my uh, FPL team. Jack, tell me who's going to win this game. Well, I, I, in looking at the past two, uh, the past few games, you know, City look incredibly dangerous. Incredibly. But United look pretty awful. Like, against Chelsea, they produced, like, Very a true. flurry of attacks for, like, three or four minutes, but then, like, that was about it. And then they fell flat for the rest of the game and just defended. And, uh, you know... That's the difference here. And also, um, I want I want to bring up an interesting stat. Okay. Um, the partnership, the center back partnership for City, John Stones and Ruben Diaz, have scored more goals than they have conceded. It, since they've partnered each other, they have Bro. scored more than conceded as center backs, which is incredible. Their their defense is solid. Uh, you know, they're everyone is scoring. Their forwards aren't the ones who score all the time, but yeah. everyone on the field contributes. Manchester United have like two players who regularly chip in goals, Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes. And if they have a bad game, it's over. Uh, and given that Bruno Fernandes tends to pretty much disappear against big teams, I know I'm going to get some hate from United fans for that, but it, it's kind of true. Uh, I'm going that City win this 2-0. to zero. Okay, 2-0. to zero. All right, all right. Yeah, I mean... Every single one of City's players are just amazing. They have goal-scoring threats on every side of the pitch. You know, once we get Ederson, that penalty, you know, it's all over. Uh, <laughs> oh once he's on penalty kicks, uh, I remember in the, one of the games in the past weeks, he started walking up as if he was going to take a penalty <laughs> kick, but he was just going to talk to whoever was taking it to like, give advice. And I was like, yo, it's about to be insane. If any oh team God. is willing to do that, it's Manchester City. But, you know, Jack, that's that's one inner city rivalry to another Atletico Madrid versus Real Madrid in La Liga. Who this is a big one. Walk us through it. Well, um, Atletico are currently sitting at a record of two wins, one draw and two losses. They just came off of a pretty good win against Villarreal this past weekend. Uh, two to zero win. Pretty convincing. And but Real are on a five-game yes. winning streak, or even longer. That Just their last five games have all been wins. And both have injury issues, which you could classify as crises, in, I, I think, at least in Real's case. And, but Atleti are getting slightly better in this regard. They had a ton of players return this weekend for them. Uh, they, they didn't have to play a, a forward at right back, so that was a welcome sign for them. Uh, but... Real's form is just too good this season. Even with a depleted team, their defense is still solid. Their midfield is their midfield is incredible. Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric are all fit, and they're all incredible players. And because of that, like Real's form's too good, and they beat Atletico two to zero earlier this season when Atletico were really, really good. So I think that Real are going to do the double over their city wow. rivals. And I'm going Atletico 1 to Real Madrid 2. Okay. All right. Wait, can you say that scoreline again? I, I just can't comprehend that. Yeah. No, Atletico Madrid 1, 
and Real Madrid 2. Okay, I just wanted you to say it again so I can rub in your face how wrong you're okay. going to be next week. I'm okay. telling you, bro, this is a title-defining match. Atleti have been it struggling is. due to injury, but they did bounce back against Villarreal, which is a very decent team, to win 2-0. Real are on great form as well, and Real have won the last three games against Atleti, but that was all at home. You know, there's a lot of different factors. Like, they're all, you know, it's relatively evenly matched. I can't really separate them. Maybe it's just my rose-tinted glasses. Just just going for the draw is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go for the boring 1-1 draw. I, I feel like we okay. always say that these big matches are going to be, uh, you know, very exciting. With Bayern Munich and Manchester City, they're just classes above. I think they'll win. But when you have a big match like this, and they're so evenly matched, I feel like a draw's on the cards. That's how I'm going to lay down. Okay. One, two, I, one. I, I can see it happening. Yeah, I can see that happening. It, okay. it will happen, I'm telling you. All right, Jack. Okay. That is it for those predictions. How are you feeling? Do you think, you know, we don't have a guest to worry about. It's just you versus me. Do you think you beat me? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think Chelsea are going to beat Liverpool. So I, I think I'm, and then everything else. We have like similar results, except for the Atletico versus Real Madrid thing. But I think Chelsea will win, so okay. Chelsea are going to carry me. Okay, all right, it's going to happen. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, that is our very long episode of the final third, probably the, the longest that we've had so far. But you know what? Who cares? This is this is just who we are. We're very grateful that everyone's listening, and I guarantee you that Thursday is not going to be as long. Probably. So, Jack, anything to say to our listeners? Uh, I mean, as always, make sure to follow our Twitter and Instagram, which are both Final Third Show. That's the handle you can search for. Uh, we, you know, AJ posts a lot better content than I do, to be honest. Nope. But uh, when when he does, it it's really good. Uh, you know, you can look, you can watch him get debated by U.S. Men's National Team fans when he says that Pulisic not starting isn't a big deal uh and uh you know it, it's it's fun it, it's a it's a great place to interact it, it's it, it's a, a fun thing we we'd love to see you there and talk with you so follow us on those platforms yes and as always follow us on wherever you listen to us whether that's spotify apple Podcasts, google podcast amazon music if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts, give us a rating it really helps the show it really helps the show when you, you know, tell a friend as well. If your friend is into soccer, particularly U.S. soccer, Premier League, all that stuff, tell them to, to listen to the podcast. Send them a link their way. Send your dad a link. You know, tell him to listen as well. I'm sure that he would love it as well. And we'll see you guys on Thursday for our deep dive episode. And the same time, same place for the news and predictions show next Monday. Goodbye. Bye for now.